You're listening to Tech Talk Central. Hola from Barcelona. This is Vicky Golovu for Tech Talk Central. And uh, we will be doing a light chat. I don't get the tunes part. You'll explain that. Oh, it's... it's, it's uh, sorry, I didn't get the tunes. Tunes. Sorry, <laughs> missed that part. Anyway, so Helen, Keegan, and her friends, each one of you, please do introduce yourself when you start talking so people know who you are. And uh, it'll go live tomorrow morning. So, Helen. Good morning. Uh, very pleased to be here. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, I run the Heroes of the Mobile Fringe Festival, which is on this week, and a big party of Swedish beers on Wednesday night. So uh, if you haven't been to that before, check it out at swedishbeers.org, and all the festival events are at mobileheroes.net. So, Rosa, over to you. Yeah, thank you. Hi, everybody. I'm Rosa. I work from Fitbit. And I'm used, I'm based in Barcelona, so I help and my friends running this festival and, and Swedish beer, so come please. And Suji? I like this part. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm Suji, Suji Nosa. Uh, we are in Casa Nosa. Welcome home, everyone. That's all. Welcome home, Barcelona. Thanks, Suji. Uh, my name's Carlo Lanchino. I work for a company called WIP, W-I-P. Um, we organize a number of developer events here. Um, come to our party before you go to Swedish beers on Wednesday night. <laughs> Not saying you have to go to one or the other, but you should come to both. Um, WIP.org for more details. Hi, I'm Rafe Blanford. Uh, I'm a mobile strategist at Digitas LBI. It's a big uh, technology marketing agency in London. But I'm probably also known for the websites I run, which is allaboutwindowsphone.com and before that, allaboutsymbian.com. All, all about Symbian. <laughs> Thank you, Carlo. And uh, also do some mobile podcasting at 361podcast.com. Oh, and hello. Uh, my name is Kirsty Styles. Uh, I'm a tech journalist, uh, mobile specialist, and uh, now a senior reporter at Tech City News, covering the uh, conference. Okay, guys. So I don't know where we should start, but how about what are you? What do you see forecasts about MWC? What's what are the hot topics for this year, in general, and what do you think we'll be seeing? So in general, I think there's going to be uh, wearables, uh, big data, advertising, uh, analytics. Those are the um, big ones for me. Also mHealth and automotive, but that's not kind of my um, specialist area. Um, but analytics, a lot of analytics companies. Uh, I can talk about on the device perspective, I think we're going to see more in the mid-tier. There'll be the usual big announcements, but if I'm looking for broader themes... It would be personalization, seeing more of that in software and services. And as Helen says, kind of the idea that mobile's eating everything else and so extending into health, uh, cars, retail, that idea of the kind of Internet of Things being controlled from a, a mobile device. So I expect to hear a lot more about that this year. Yeah, I'd agree with both of those. I think um, in terms of, of wearables and, and Internet of Things, uh, a lot of what we're going to be seeing is uh, is more how those integrate with devices and handsets, and how some of the the bigger players in in devices, um, you know, th so thinking companies like Sony with their um, LifeLog API and LifeLog 
That's right, isn't it? Yeah, LifeLock API and things like that um, seek to uh, to integrate outside devices and services into their uh, into their own their own ecosystem. Um, and did you just cringe at my use of the word ecosystem, Helen? That's what I thought that was. I sort of cringed in I sort of cringed inside, but I think that's okay. Um, but I was at, I was at CES uh, in in January and um, spent some time on the show floor uh, in the area of wearables and fitness trackers and things like that. And there was a tremendous amount of of uh, of junk. In addition to um, you know some of the bigger names with better devices and, and more comprehensive services. And so I think there's still a lot um, you know a lot of uh, uh, clearing out to be done in that sector, but I think we're starting to to hit a point where, again, the integration of those things into uh, other services and with other devices is is going to be big this year. Yeah, I completely agree with you, and and I should see in this Mobile World Congress what is next after the devices. So, what happened with this data, and what can we do? with this data and, and improve the, the management of the data and, and how to improve our life with these devices. So um, I, I see a switch, and I don't know if it's correct, more into enterprise stuff. We, up to now, there was a lot of startups with B2C. There are startups B2C still, but I think the conversation has shifted more as to what enterprises are going to be doing, how they're going to be integrating all the data produced or... Yeah sensors and whatever. I did two interviews yesterday and that was the conversation. What are your opinions on that? Certainly I'm seeing more enterprise um, type companies signing up uh, to come to my events. So there's definitely a conversation there. And I'm, some of the uh, demos this afternoon at Innovation on the Fringe will be enterprise related rather than consumer startup um, oriented. So I think it's a good thing. It has to happen. The world has gone mobile, and it's a time for these companies to catch up if they haven't already been part of the party, as it were. Yeah, I think something that I've noticed over the last few years at, at MWC is is a lot of the, the consumer companies, like you mentioned, whether it's startups or even handset vendors, the role that they're taking is, is changing. Um, you know, this used to be a very consumer product driven show with a lot of big handset announcements and things like that you're not seeing quite as much of that you still see some of it like i think samsung has big announcements tomorrow microsoft will will announce some things um but for instance htc did their um did their big unveil last week or earlier this week but they have people locked up under nda Maybe. Um, but, you know, it's just like with, with a lot of other things. There's so much noise here. It's difficult, I think, for these companies to stand out. And especially if you're a small startup, being able to make an impact on a scale that's really going to get you noticed is, is incredibly difficult here. Um, you know, and then you add in the, the sort of expense and complexity of, of doing activities at Mobile World Congress, and, and it becomes a lot harder for, for people that aren't large enterprises. So I think that's, that's a lot of it. Yeah, I think that's a trend we've been seeing recently in the consumer stuff in terms of announcements is all going to happen on Sunday and Monday. It kind of leaves the rest of the week for some of the, the more enterprise-focused things. But I, I also think it's a natural part of the industry as it matures 
there's an acknowledgement that building businesses off an enterprise model is easier simply because these are the companies that have the money to invest over a, a longer term time scale. It's actually more predictable as well. And so companies looking to go into revenue straight away rather than sort of, you know, build themselves up to then be sold on, uh, I think are looking at the enterprise space. And it's just really a reflection of the scale now of smartphones have got to the point where they are in most enterprise users' hands. Previously, it was very consumer-led. Um, but the kind of the rise of bring your own device plus enterprise deployments where they happen mean I would have said that it's probably getting to the point where 80% of workers in any given company will have a smartphone. And of course, it therefore makes sense to look to the efficiencies that mobile can bring. So, uh, Rafe, what would you, let's say you were in a room with a lot of developers, 100 in there, and you were supposed to give them guidance as to what they should be working on or for whom they should be working and which field, you know, mobile, there's Internet of Things. What would you suggest, like, your money depended on that? What would be your best advice to give them, hey, guys, this is where you should be working with? Okay, so, so I think this is a question that's better for Carlo, but I'll, I'll, take, I'll, I'll take a shot anyway. I'll take it from all of you. I need an answer from all of you. I, I don't actually think you should see mobile as something different uh, I think it's actually part of everything else. Too often people talk about it as a channel or an individual project. It really needs to become an integral part of your business. And therefore, developers should look at the businesses they know best and see how mobile innovation can be applied to them. And that would be my advice. If you're someone who's a very experienced mobile developer, if I was going to say one space that's going to be very hot in the next few years... Uh, I think health would probably be the one I'd pick out. It's going to be very difficult to navigate because of the regulatory environment and framework. But in terms of the margins there, you only need to look at the rest of the health industry to realize there's a lot of potential there. So that's probably the one area um, I would advise people to look at. And uh, I'd say, you know, use a direct business model rather than consumer because it's just easier. Yeah, I think Rafe makes a, a good point in a way when he sort of punted on the question by saying, you know, rather than a specific area, pick something and, and that you know well and, and solve a problem there. And I think really that's that's probably the best way to answer this question. Um, you know, the, there is no no sort of magic bullet. You know, the the formula is going to be the same in any space where, you know, you need to you need to find an inefficiency, you need to find a problem and you need to solve it and you need to do it in a way that, that is easy for users and, and brings them some value. Um, so again, like Rafe said, you know, the, the best advice is to, to find a business space or a vertical that you know or one that you can get to know very well um, and, and apply some technology to it, um, you know, blending that technological expertise with the knowledge of, of the business. In terms of particular areas that I think are, are interesting, um, health is one. I'm not quite as bullish on it as, as Rafe is maybe just because of, you know, like he mentioned, it's a very difficult one to get into. Um, but I think there are a lot of number er of other ones, and, you know, such as uh, transport and logistics. Um, you know, there's still huge opportunities there for for um, for developers and, and third-party services. Um, I think still looking at some of the uh, Salesforce automation and, and some of those things that, that are available. And, and particularly, too, I think there's some interesting opportunities in wearables there. Um, you know, people tend to, to look at wearables and smartwatches strictly from that consumer perspective where it's saying, oh, you know, it's a smartwatch. I want to get 
my messaging notifications on it or, or something like that. But if you think in the context of, say, uh, um, you know, transport and logistics, you have a company that has a fleet of, of truck drivers who they want to send messages to or, or things like that. Um, it's great to send those things to a phone, but in you know most places now, you know drivers aren't aren't supposed to be using their phones while they drive. Not maybe they shouldn't be using their smartwatch either. <laughs> but you know, um, if you think in terms of just sending a you know a notification that can at least say, hey, pull over, check your phone for a message. You know, you need to go to a different place. You need to change your route. Um, you know, there are some things like that as opposed to you know yet another sort of step counting application or, or something like that. Uh, it's hard to disagree with either Carla or Rafe on that, I would say. Um, my advice to developers would be try and solve a, a bigger problem. So whatever problem you're thinking you're solving, maybe think bigger, because I'm seeing so many startups, uh, certainly in the London scene, and I think, you really, you're doing that? Mm, and, you know, do we really need another app for that when there's already a 100 apps that do that? And yours doesn't look much better, different, cheaper, whatever. Um, Can you just clarify a little what you mean by solve a bigger problem? Because um, Rafe over here took a really deep breath when yes, you said that. So, yeah, you're right, Carlo. So that Carlo. makes me think he's ready to launch across the table or something. Of, you know, yet another booking app for something or yet another dating app for something. And I'd just like to see uh, some deeper thinking about what to build in the first place and what problem to solve in the first place. And I think part of that is um, thinking a little bit bigger. Yeah, I, I think that's excellent advice. I'd also add to that. I, I think sometimes when you see these kind of clone products, it's absolutely right. The advice would be look for adjacent product sectors and kind of replicate that model but on the other hand i'd also advise developers to think smaller quite often they are trying to solve too big a problem and actually it's it's not what Helen meant but break it down into a smaller challenge and when you think about uh, you know a problem it's generally got a subset of problems identify one of those subsets and then do experiments around that and often a single piece of innovation there can build your entire business off that rather than trying to you know do everything at once and that's one of the great things about mobile. It can be relatively bite-sized and make a big difference, a big impact. And you think of you know, some of the most famous disruptive mobile companies, you know, th things like Uber and Halo are actually basically just solving the problem of sticking your hand up in the air in a virtual way. And it's not a lot more complicated than that. Yeah, I mean, um, the, the taxi app phenomenon in London is quite incredible considering that you can get a, well, I can get on my bike, you can get a Boris bike, you can get on the bus, you can get on the tube, overground, underground, train. Um, so I, I have to agree there. I, I, I mean, I think it's something... Um, I mean, extending this a little bit further, it's perhaps a diversity issue. You know, you've got a lot of people sitting around the table who um, are all kind of from, from quite similar backgrounds who probably have the same problems like... Oh, how annoying it is having to put my hand up to get a taxi. Um, and um, so I think um, this, um, not that it's necessarily an easy problem to solve or something for developers to solve necessarily, but, um, you know, a, a diversity of voices, experiences, um, and therefore problems, I think is something that um, is certainly something that, that we need to talk about if we want to start solving bigger problems. To kind of build on the mHealth um, idea, I think assistive technologies for um, um, people living with um, all sorts of different kind of disabilities and, and, and health problems, I think 
think are something that um, shouldn't necessarily be a lucrative area, but something where um, mobile can potentially start saving people's lives and actually looking over to um, uh, developing countries as more people get online and, you know, seeing how mobile can help people with, um, you know, growing crops or, um, you know, starting small businesses, things like that. I think that's the kind of stuff that I'd really start like to see more of. Just to, to go back to, I guess, my three fellow panelists' points. Those are, you know, those are all interesting things. Um, and I think to just to follow in a little bit what Rafe was saying, you know, in terms of, of looking small, I think, you know, if you want to break that down into some practical advice for a developer, I think that means start with doing something well, doing one thing well and starting from there and then figuring out other things to do. Um, but then in terms of thinking of on a bigger scale of, of you know, along the lines of, of what Kirsty and Helen are saying, um, I think we see a tendency of a lot of people to, um, to lead their business ideas with a, a service or an application um, where a lot of times, you know, those services or applications, um, you know, are just specific implementations of a technology. So if we use the, the example of Uber, um, like Rafe mentioned, for instance, they've just launched this Uber Eats service here in Barcelona where instead of uh, using Uber to, to get a ride from a place, they're doing food delivery. Um, you know, so... Because yeah, it's really hard to get good food in Barcelona. <laughs> I'm not going to argue that, but I mean... <laughs> but still, I, I mean, I can see, you know, I, I, there are plenty of, of places around the world that deliver food that, you know, would argue it's a successful business, you know. Um, and so I think that, you know, by using Uber sort of as a, as a delivery platform, whether they're delivering people from place to place or whether they're delivering food or whether they're delivering packages or whatever the case may be, you know, that's sort of the platform thinking and then delivering the people is an application of that. Um, and so I think, you know, a lot of people tend to build businesses that are, I don't know, dating sites or, uh, um, you know, something else my mind is sort of slipping of a common application like a flight tracking application for instance you know um we don't necessarily need more of those but there can be some technology behind those that can be applied in other places and i think cursory is a really interesting example of seeing things in emerging markets where you know historically there's been technology leadership coming from those places like mobile banking the most successful mobile banking applications have all come from emerging markets. And then, you know, the rest of us in the developed world are finally sort of figuring out, hey, there's some actual good stuff happening here. Um, you know, and so I think that's the sort of, to my mind at least, the marriage of this large and small thinking that, that, that my fellow uh, panelists here are, are talking about. Yeah, as a former APP developer, I, I used to copy good models, and that's what that was my mistake. I think it, it works, and you shouldn't reply it. So you should improve and and have your niche. But uh, it's difficult in the south of Europe, I think, to have something new because we don't have the the background and the power uh, to develop something big. So we have these APPs or these service things, and, and we should make uh, more implementation, technological implementation, I think. Well, to, for, to talk a little bit about on the side of the startups, I think media has also done a bit of damage because B2C usually get a lot of coverage. Yeah. And I know that because we always try to find B2B and nobody really cares to hear what they, they don't understand. So how are they going to cover it? 
So I, I, in my opinion, they're doing it. I, I, I agree with you because media is, is always on the fashion side of these things. So they cover the B2C. It's like Uber in Spain. They have a great lunch. But uh, nobody is, is much uh, about logistics. Mm -hmm. It's not fashion at all. So they didn't cover. Yeah. And it's a great market because we are in the south. So we have a, a logistic uh, power here. And we should implement this one. But yesterday we were talking about we don't have the education, could we say? Yeah. To, to implement B2B, either the, the developers. Not the media, either the developers, I think. But maybe that's why, in my opinion, we have to bring in the old people, as I say. I mean, meaning um, experienced in other fields that don't know technology, because there's still a big gap that I see in the middle. Um, I come across a lot of professionals that are very good at what they do, but they have no idea how to collaborate with people in technology, and there's issues there. So I don't know if you have something on that. Yeah, it, I, I definitely think um, you need people to do some translation uh, and to bring people together and because we've been used to working in silos, so the techies work in their technical department and the marketing people are over there and the salespeople are doing their sales thing and sometimes they talk together on a Friday night over a beer and maybe they don't. Uh, and that can lead to all sorts of complications. And the world is getting more technology oriented but it's really complicated and there i recently did um, a research project for a client around programmatic advertising oh my goodness and i know about this stuff i'm not i'm not coming to this clueless and i'm looking at the market going i'm really glad i don't have to buy any of these services because i just could not differentiate between most of the different companies there, <laughs> what they might be doing, why one technology would be better than another, and, you know, acronyms. I know what they mean, and then you forget instantly <laughs> what they mean. Uh, so we need ways to make this stuff more accessible for ordinary people who aren't programmers to be able to contribute to the story and to the picture and to help create these services. And um, because that way we'll get things that more people can use and be more practical and not have jargon. And I think that's a that's an interesting point. I mean, even just beyond the, the sort of business aspect of it, I mean, the, I think the bigger backdrop that we're starting to see, um, you know, are things like um, If This Then That, who've just come out with a new app, for Android that lets people sort of create code and create their own applications without creating code or applications. Um, you know, it's for people who aren't familiar with it, it's ifttt.com. And, you know, you can basically set up different services to, to interact with each other when certain things happen. It's interesting. Um, and then, of course, you know, the whole maker phenomenon in the hardware space where, you know, the the prototyping and creation of hardware is, is really becoming democratized in a sense. You know, people able to build things with Arduinos or, or other, other types of boards and very easily build in all other sorts of sensors. And so I think we're getting to a point where, you know, this sort of technology creation really is going mainstream. Um, and, and I think that's going to be really interesting to see over the, the next few years as well. And I think, you know, just in the, the context of Mobile World Congress this week, we might see some of, uh, some of that too, you know, from companies like Intel, MediaTek, some, some other people like that. My observation would be that technologists in general, 
think they know best about everything. And as a result, they tend to think they can run other businesses better than the people running them themselves. And that's pretty much always a mistake. And I think that arrogance has uh, infected mobile to a certain extent. Uh, and while you know that's not necessarily an enormous problem, um, you can also put it the other way around. The scale of mobile as we head towards 2 billion smartphones is pretty unique. And so both sides have a lot to learn about how, what that means because essentially mobile is becoming the digital infrastructure on an unprecedented scale. And no other consumer electronics or business side thing has actually ever reached that. And so the lessons we have to learn, both in the Western markets and particularly, I think, in the emerging markets, uh, uh, are, are profound. Um, so as to what Carlo was saying, yeah, absolutely, it is becoming a lot more democratized in the, uh, the access to that kind of thing. And I think the other problem is a lot of companies, particularly ones that have been around more than 10 or 20 years, aren't set up with a structure to address technology and particularly mobile technology. They tend to operate in very distinct departments. And what mobile does essentially is make digital accessible everywhere at any time. And suddenly that means that you don't think about marketing at one particular point in time. You think about it all the time on the customer journey. And that will apply to operations in whichever particular area you choose. And so the technology department, which is usually kept in a dark cupboard somewhere, suddenly has this sort of sense of power that it can take over the entire business. And, and yes, they do need to be kind of integrated right across uh, a co company's model. And I think that's something that the smartest companies are getting. But it's going to take a while to, if you like that, there's almost a sense of uh, legacy debt for the structure of all these companies that has to be addressed before you can really take advantage of mobile, which is quite often why we see the startups being able to move faster and to disrupt some of the established players, despite the fact they have the advantage of incumbency. It's kind of it's partly innovator's dilemma model, but it's also, I think, particularly unique and particularly strong in the mobile area. Um, I actually got a question for both of you guys. Um, first of all, I was just no going to say, <laughs> um, I mean, having worked in this industry for a few years now, I think that the, um, the point at the beginning was to make it seem really complicated and confusing so that you really needed somebody to help you with it. And fortunately, we're the people who can. Um, and um, I think there's, there's a, the consolidation that's happening in um, potentially in the areas that you were talking about, Helen, um, and where, you know, if people can't understand you, then they're probably just going to start going elsewhere because it's just, you know, we, we just don't get what you're talking about. So, so that's it. Um, I was going to ask you, though, um, Carlos uh, and Rafe, probably, um, the, the disruption of the big players, I mean, the democratization, is that not a bit of a kind of, bit of, a kind of illusion? I've, I've just been reading um, uh, The Internet is Not the Answer, controversially, um, and, uh, by Andrew Keane, and um, some of the stuff around, um, well, it's, it, the Internet, um, you know, up to Tim Berners-Lee was this great cooperative effort, publicly funded, and now it's um, a winner-takes-all model, and, and, you know, Google and Facebook and everybody like that um, uh, just seem to be able to hoover up the next startup in order to ensure that they continue to be um, the behemoths that they've grown to. So do, 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 you, do you see that kind of those great new internet monopolies being smashed by people here at Mobile World Congress? That's quite a question. <laughs> uh, um, in terms of, um, you know, whether, whether the democratization is a, is a false construct, um, just personally, I think that, that um, Andrew Keane may not be the strongest point to argue from because he's, he's generated quite a, quite a business out of his 
his contrarianism. Not to say, you know, there there might be something, you know, right, correct in what he's saying. Um, but that said, um, I... <laughs> I don't know, I guess would be the best <laughs> answer. Um, I mean, I think that I, I understand the point and that, that, you know, new new monopolies and new behemoths, I think that's a really good word to use, are, are being created. Um, and I think that, you know, maybe the bigger issue is, is we sort of see this, um, I don't know, kind of cultural monotony emerging where, you know, I think we're losing a lot of, well, not, losing is a strong word, but we, there are a lot of distinct bits of culture that that are becoming sort of homogenized by the internet, and I think that's that's a challenge that we need to we need to address. Um, I've gone a bit sociological. Maybe that's not what you wanted, but um, I think in terms of technology, I still think that that we live in a time where companies and startups and innovators and entrepreneurs have greater access to uh, to market and to technology and to you know to communication channels than they've ever had before um, some of those may be through companies like Google and and, and Facebook and and, um, and you know some of these tech giants but I mean I think the the sort of saving grace is that for those companies to really try and lock things down is cutting off their nose to spite their face. And I think that, that, you know, if they do try and do that, I don't think it will work because I think something that the internet has shown it's very good at is, you know, finding ways around barriers, you know, whether that's, you know, people in, in certain countries finding access to, to services that are presumed, you know, quote unquote, blocked by authorities there. Um, whether it's, you know, users moving from one service to another because a service did something they didn't like. Um, you know, so I think, I don't think the risk is quite as great as someone maybe like Andrew Keene would have us believe. Um, but, you know, I do think, I do think it's a, a legitimate concern, I guess is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> I, I'm just going to pass the mic to Rafe now. He'll be much more erudite. <laughs> I think uh, trying to add value to what Carlo said because he's <laughs> he's actually put it much better than I could. Um, I think it's sometimes important to separate the corporate structure um, from kind of what we see as innovation or new businesses. Uh, and certainly, I think there's a legitimate concern about the scale of Google, Facebook, Apple, and all of those. But I would point out we can look at the history of the mobile industry and see a dominant player can be unseated. Um, most of the big names now are unrecognizable, but what happened to, to Nokia, look what happened to Ericsson, and I think that's a, a continuing pattern. Uh, now, what I'm not... that operating system? Yeah, <laughs> thank you, Carlo. Um, uh, and I'm not, not and, you know, similarly with uh, Microsoft in technology, um, I'm not saying that Facebook and Google and Apple are, are going to disappear because I don't think they will, but I wouldn't necessarily have a great concern about them sort of eating smaller companies because to a certain extent that's actually an artifact of the capitalist system basically and venture capital is set up to do exits. You have to also see the positive side of that. The amazing access to capital has actually allowed the flowering of technology in a way that's pretty much unprecedented simply because the overheads and the kind of the externalities of technology is so much lower than any other sector which is really part of the reason it's been able to accelerate so far so I think you have to absolutely be concerned about this consolidation 
Uh, but equally well, that wouldn't have happened in the first place um, if we hadn't had the environment to let that happen. Um, and I think, uh, to Carlo's point about uh, kind of homogeneity as a result of this, I think we also have to acknowledge that it allows voices to be heard in a way that's pretty unprecedented. Uh, and we see startups from all over the world, if you think of things like Skype coming out of Estonia and plenty of others as well. It's going to be really intriguing to see what happens in the next decade as some of the emerging markets come on stream in a way that we haven't seen before and whether you can see a big startup out of India or China become a, a global giant or will they just get, get bought off. You know, there are certainly founders out there in companies who want to establish their own identity on themselves, but equally there are those that are quite happy to be bought by the big guys. I think those that are really ambitious actually have the ambition to do it on their own. And, and Mark Zuckerberg got offered, you know, to be bought Facebook back in the day, turned it down, and look what's happened to him now. And so I think it's partly about the mentality of the, the founders of the companies. Um, yeah, it's, it's always tempting to sort of have a slightly Luddite view of the world with regard to technology, and that seems to happen every single, every single era we've been in. So security, data privacy... So that's the big what-if that really concerns me because there's so much data being collected now. And if we think about sensors and the capability of the devices in our pockets, far more personal computers, far more data being collected, and, and people just aren't aware of the implicit contract they're making with these big companies that you get stuff in exchange for giving them data. Well, and it, it's a split-second decision whether you click on the button to have free Wi-Fi. Yeah, and, and, and people just don't know that Google knows them better than they know themselves, and you know, particularly when you start looking five years down the road where we will get to predictive models that will know what you're going to do before you even know yourself. It, that does concern me because that level of knowledge is pretty much unprecedented, and there is no regulatory or legal framework set up for that yet. And one of the things we've learned, technology is at its most dangerous when it moves ahead of the, kind of the regulatory and the legal framework. Um, Mm, I'll repeat that. Go on, Carlo. No, I'll, I'll let you finish your point, Rafe, but I, I would like to come back to that. I kind of, kind of finished the point um, there, but in terms of equality of access and things like that, that's where I think you, you have the concern. At the same time, you can't be, you can't be tied into a framework because the whole point about um, a lot of innovation is that it, it is going to be disrupted, it is going to change things, and actually that's how you, you make progress. Uh, and let's go back to the Luddite point. You, you can't be afraid of it, but um, it, it probably is. The, 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 I am, because the, the, the pace and scale is pretty much un, unprecedented. I mean, I, I think that even within my lifetime, to, to know internet, and then it, it, does, it does give me some uh, concern for the future, just how much that might change again. Yeah. I, I take Rafe's point regarding you know, government and regu regulation when it comes to, to privacy and security. I mean, I think that, that we've already seen what can happen when, um, you know, when, when companies or, or corporate entities are left to sort of do whatever they, they want um, or even what governments yeah. do. I, I, I'm not, not saying government. <laughs> you know, um, I think, I mean, I think the, the issue that I see, um, you know, when we, when we start having this conversation is, is that, you know, it's a very fine balance to be struck between um, a government or a regulatory body um, acting in a way that, that protects end users, consumers, the public, without 
hampering innovation. I think, you know, the, the way that you phrased it, you know, may not, I may be reading into it something that, that, that you're, you're not intending where, you know, you're saying it's very hard for, for government to keep up with, with innovation. I think it's impossible for government and particularly for politicians to keep up with innovation and to get to a point where, um, you know, there's some sort of implicit, um, regulation of innovation or permission needed to innovate. Um, I think that's, that's something that can, can really destroy the technological world and Uh, really hamper progress. Absolutely. And, um, just to, to make it clear, it was more a case of, I'm concerned that they're not doing a good enough job rather than they should regulate that space. It's just rather than being on a product life cycle that lasts, you know, years or or months, actually, regulation tends to be on the decade cycle. Just like to see a a change in that. And in general, I want them to get out of the way as much as possible and let the free market have its way. But there is, there are plenty of examples from corporate history um, where they're not the right one. And whether the government's even the right person to do that regulation, (laughs) much bigger question. (laughs) So I think uh, in our company, um, my colleague Sakis is here and he's got a question for these guys. I was intending to do one with um, data, but I think his is also very interesting. So Saki, please go ahead. Hi from me. Uh, I'm Saki Strendaflakis, co-host of uh, Tech Talk Central. And I really enjoyed the conversation earlier. So I have a question for all of you. Um, artificial intelligence is something that is pretty trending right now. And we gather all that data from all kind of source, uh, sources and sensors and wearables and whatever. But the thing is that we train certain algorithms and we're educating and creating uh, smart uh, systems. Uh, what are we going to do when uh, computers will be clever, uh, will be more intelligent than human beings? Will, will, that, will, will that be the end of the human race? Uh, well, you'll have to come to Monday afternoon session with James Tag. Uh, uh, are the androids dreaming yet? Uh, because he's just written a book about that subject, about when we can expect our smartphones to be smarter than us. And uh, I think it's a really interesting question. And it freaks me out a bit, so I try not to think about it too much. Um, because it's We've quite all seen worrying. Terminator. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And I, I was, um, my first night here... I was woken up very early in the morning by the um, garbage trucks going around the streets. And and I thought about um, driverless cars. And then I'm thinking, well, there'll be driverless garbage trucks. And it'll just be these massive, great, big robots going around the streets picking up our garbage. And then what to the garbage men? They'll be more intelligent, if you think about it. They'll know which bin will be full and if they should go by that. You know, it's sort of like a balance... Yes, I I agree, but it's not that far away and it's still really freaky to think about this stuff and what that means for human beings in terms of what we do every day Um, because everybody's job will be disrupted at every single level. It's, you know, you're not safe because you're a doctor um, or a lawyer or whatever else. Uh, It's it's at every uh, level. Uh, So I think... Being mindful and conscious of this happening and having conversations about it and thinking about it is a good thing. Um, There's no way to solve the problem right now. And I don't know when the uh, smartphones will be smarter than us. We will have to ask James tomorrow at 5.30. 
and that's mobileheroes.net for more information about <laughs> tomorrow's <laughs> event. Um, Kirsty had mentioned earlier uh, assistive applications, and I don't think it was quite in this context, but I think if we think about um, you know, what, what artificial intelligence can, can offer you know, uh, everyday life and people in terms of assistive technology, and, and as Helen says, being mindful of what that is. And I think you know, the, the outlook that, that, that we should take when it comes to artificial intelligence is what, you know, what is helpful and what's just technology for technology's sake and what is disruptive in a bad way. Um, you know, so I think instead of instead of replacing doctors, you know, how can we use artificial intelligence to to make their jobs easier and make the outcomes better? Um, you know, again with the with the garbage trucks, um, you know, again maybe we can just figure out which ones are empty or full and need to be emptied, rather than you know picking up every single one on the street. Um, I think the key to that though is sort of us as as human beings um, having a little bit of restraint, which I'm not sure is something that we're always really good at collectively. Um, so, I mean, I do think it's a it's a it's a big question to ask and a and a challenge that we have to face. Yeah, this is a pretty big subject. Um, <laughs> I absolutely believe that computers will become more intelligent than humans. It's not a question of uh, if; it's when. I think the real concern comes from once they get to that point, they just run off in a kind of cascade. It's the singularity that people talk about. And a lot of people much smarter than me have sort of said it's going to be the Terminator scenario, and others have said it's kind of the utopian scenario. I I think the reflection on this is it's going to be a massive inflection point, and honestly it's very difficult to understand what's going to happen at that point. Um, But equally well, I think you can look back a couple of thousand years, you know, if you think about, I don't know, Roman times or even further back, kind of Stone Age man would look at society today and it would be completely alien and unrecognisable to him. Uh, I'm not suggesting it's going to necessarily be quite that big in a kind of like a three or four year time period. It won't be totally overnight, but it could be very quick indeed. And just as technology has pretty much made the world unrecognisable in the last 30 or 40 years, it really has only just got going. And I think AI is fundamentally tied to that. And honestly, yeah, it does does scare me a great deal um, because, you know, like like most humans, I'm not terribly comfortable with fast, rapid change. Um, but it's also a, a, a massive opportunity. Uh, you know, it's actually, uh, I, I tend to see technology as a very positive force, all the, the great changes it's made. And I'm optimistic enough to think that it will actually be a, a positive thing. Um, I think there are people who are much smarter than me about talking about AI and I would point out we're already there. There's a lot of analysis already going on, improving systems. And basically, a lot of technology is actually based around taking b- disparate bits of data, pulling it together, and particularly in the aggregated sense, making decisions off the off the back of that. And um, actually, you know, to me, that's pretty positive. Um, but yeah, uh, I guess I welcome our computer overlords in due course. <laughs> anyway, guys, because we don't have a lot of time, uh, well, this is the last question, a wrap-up question. So what didn't I ask you? What would be that question that you would really like to answer to? So what kind of topic should we have more, should, if we did have more time, should we be talking about? Helen, you, you seem to be thinking a lot about it, so I am going to give the microphone to you. Um, thanks, Vicky. Um, <laughs> nothing like being put on the spot. Um, what could we have talked about? Uh, I think there's um, 
we should be talking about advertising and ethics in the digital world uh, and data and data privacy and what we do with that data and what it actually means uh, because anonymous data is anything but anonymous it's not that difficult to match data to a person if you really wanted it to uh, and that's certainly a topic I'd like to explore another time yeah I totally agree with Helen I I miss a little bit about privacy and and what you do with this data and, and the security and and how is avoiding these uh, rules in Google and and these kind of things <laughs> Stop passing the microphone around, please answer, Carlos. Um, no, I, I sort of know what I wanted to say. I just needed another minute to, to put it in uh, in the right order. Um, I think I think on top of, of privacy and, and and those sorts of things, um, regulation um, in general. I mean, I'm not sure if that's necessarily the 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 best word to use, but I'm thinking in terms of this discussion we've just had in, in the United States regarding net neutrality and how that's that's come to pass and, and what that means both for uh, the internet as a whole and then how that's being applied to, to mobile networks. Um, because I think traditionally um, a lot of people have argued, oh, mobile is different. It needs to be managed in a special way. And so that makes doing certain things that ISPs on the wired side couldn't get away with. Um, and so I think, you know, what we've seen happen in the U.S. is, is just the first of many battles that are going to play out in the rest of the world. Um, having thank, thank you, Carlo, for giving me some more thank you t thinking time there. Um, I think we could talk about usability in quite a specific way, but also make the point more generally that as mobile becomes increasingly dominant, it actually reaches across very many different sectors and more to the point, very many different kind of consumer segments. And there's talk about addressing the grey market or millennials. And I think there actually needs to be more acknowledgement that there's more differentiation within the kind of customer base than people ever realise. And so this idea that you create a, a single app or service that can address your entire addressable market or your opportunity, I think, is something that is a simplification. And so understanding how you do that is going to be increasingly important and together with that is the idea that it's not just you know a single app or it's not just about mobile it is this i don't like to use the buzzword omni-channel but it's a very useful way of explaining that things will start offline might go to web might go to mobile and having a consistent experience and a way of addressing whatever you're trying to do is something that we just don't really see yet it's very very difficult and it's a incredibly difficult not just to design but to talk about in a, a convincing way because traditionally comp companies are based around deriving their value from where they get their direct value from and so much of mobile is about influence and indirect value explaining to companies that that point is important I think goes along with that stratification of their kind of addressable market and it ultimately does talk back to usability because none of it is going to work if people find it difficult to use it's the old chestnut about technology doesn't work until it's easier than whatever it's trying to replace. Um, I'm really still interested in, in um, you know, we've got to a point where Google and Facebook and um, and Apple are, are ubiquitous and, and, and it feels, it gets to a point where you feel like there has to be something next and I don't know whether, I'm not necessarily been convinced by wearables, I've not seen something that's really going to replace or improve upon the, the smartphones that we have already and generally tablets 
everyone stopped talking about them. Does, uh, uh, was that a kind of, we only have two hands and, uh, <laughs> um, or, or they, they look like a, a, a they look like a, a digital picture frame and that seems to be the, the ceiling um, for them. Uh, I mean, so I'm interested to know if they're going anywhere next. Also, I mean, all of these things kind of point to a kind of, we need some kind of global decision or, or you know, global way of managing this this kind of stuff, a digital Magna Carta, as um, as Tim Berners Lee would have it, and um, you know some ethics in, in in tech people and perhaps citizens becoming um, you know not just consuming but actually understanding the, the things that they're signing up to in order so that they can make kind of better decisions about the technology that they're using and actually be involved with the discussion about where things go. I think that's what I'd like to talk about. Great. So I did manage to raise more questions from you from the ones we already answered, which is good which opens up for future podcasts. Thank you very much for being with us. Helen, Mobile Heroes and Helen for organising it. Rosa, Carlos, Rafe, Rafe, sorry, <coughs> and Kirsty. Um, also, I'd like to thank my colleagues, Sekistre Dafilakis and Yanis Rizopoulos, who's been video um, filming all this. And uh, this is Vicky Kolovov, Tech Talk Central. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. You're listening to Tech Talk Central.